Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with my dear friend, Richard Crabb. Richard is the Head of Commercial Tech and Innovation for the Global Legal Function at HSBC. And what a discussion it is. You'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll be able to tell from the discussion um, uh, how much I respect and admire Richard. He's a delightful person. Uh, and he's also one that has the right constitution for driving innovation and change. He's determined realistic um, and uh, and this is important um, I was going to say lovable let's say likable um, because you need to win hearts and minds in any kind of transformation project and um, and certainly Richard has been capable of that and I can say that from personal experience seeing the impact he's had within the legal team at HSBC. I also love Richard because he's given pursuit an unprovoked plug um, uh, during the discussion, and we all we always love that. Um, but no, he's, you'll you'll see exactly why I say he's a delightful guy and a real inspiration, I think, to those who are tasked with driving innovation and change, particularly um, in the legal function, but even more broad than that. So um, I know you're going to love the episode. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Richard Crabb, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, me too, Jim. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate um, being on. Always a pleasure to speak to you. Yes, and we saw each other just a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, Richard? You were very kind enough to host a a lunch and learn, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, it's good to be seeing each other in person now. We haven't had a lot of that in the last couple of years, so it's, um, it's good they're all out and about now. Okay, so Richard, I'm going to bust right into this. You're currently now. This is a bit of a mouthful, so I'm going to read and make sure I don't get it right. Uh, don't get it wrong. You're currently the head of commercial tech and innovation global for the legal function at HSBC. Um, but as I usually start off with my guests, you weren't always the head of commercial tech innovation global um, legal at HSBC. You've had a career behind uh, uh, before that. Tell us a little bit about the. Richard Crabb's story, the influences, the, the the early, let's say the early paths you took, and then we can di- do a bit of a deep dive to, to some of those more interesting aspects of your career. And there's, there's a lot to cover. We're not going to cover it all, but look forward to, to doing a deeper dive once you've given us a bit of an overview. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess my, it doesn't seem quite so um, different nowadays, but 20 years ago, my route into the law was seen as a bit of a, you raised a few eyebrows because... <laughs> Yep. I mean, I, honestly, I didn't really want that. I, I did the usual milk round around around the top universities and saw the people that I was going to be yep. hanging And I thought, well, I don't really want to maybe join this crowd quite yet. I'd rather play football, <laughs> have a few beers. But I studied psychology um, first time around, played a bit yep. of football and enjoyed life. Um, went into, kind of fell into marketing and retail. Uh, first yep. of all, with Aldi on the graduate scheme and then Procter & Gamblers there. An associate brand manager and so as you could say i had a couple of years um just over two years retail experience um, really enjoyed that but i always had a legal itch to scratch 
um, when I was a child, I a child when I was, I was <laughs> a fiduciary when I was young. So from work experience, when you had to write off to a local yeah. business, I joined a small high street law firm and um, ended up working every holiday with those guys and enjoyed it. You know, it, yep. it lit a flame, but it wasn't quite roaring at the time that I had to make the choices. Um, went out yep. there working in house at P and G. As a marketer, I was regularly, um, in, in the nicest possible way, um, clashing heads with our in-house counsel. And um, he was a great guy, and he kind of showed me that there was a different route into law. Yep, yep, fantastic. And, and what were some of those early clashes? Okay, because you're you're in a marketing function. Presumably, you, you want to get out there. Um, you want to, um, uh, uh, let's say, um, blaze a trail. And have you got, have you got the department of no holding you back what 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 are your early experiences it was i mean it was funny really because most of the day-to-day interaction was just the old-fashioned you had a sheet of paper believe it or not with six signatures to sign off a bit of branding or a bit of copy oh wow um, and it literally had to be physically walked around the different floors around the atrium and um the lawyer was always the last person so of course yep. you go and you get your five signatures and go to the in-house lawyer and sit down and think it's a done deal now yep. and then you think ah, oh, bloody hell um, but, and, you know, and for me as a wet behind the ears, um, brandy, as we called ourselves in those days, yep. I couldn't quite get my head around it. And then, of course, as time goes on, you get to know the lawyers, you get to know a few more of the regulations and you understand the context in which yep. we're supposed to be operating. So yep. I think, you know, for me, I got better as a marketer by understanding what the regulators would permit and what they wouldn't. And and um, even if it got signed off by all of the the fluffy guys on the account teams, there's still a, a bigger hurdle to get through, and that hurdle yep. was there for good reason. Yep. Uh, okay, so in those early years, you've you've spent some time, um, Procter & Gamble, LD marketing function. Um, you did join a, law, join a law firm, I think it's McCormick's, and you became a partner there, and you were there for about eight years. Yep. Um, so, so you've got a solid foundation um, uh, in the commercial world as well as um, uh, in the practice of law before you join HSBC. Tell me, what are the key kind of learnings and attributes you think that that grounding, both outside of law and practicing law, what, what are the key skills and attributes you think you then took with you um, before you joined HSBC? So, I mean, it's a really good question for me in the context because having that, um, even though it was relatively brief, you know, in, in my thus far 20-year career, um, getting the viewpoint from what are now my stakeholders because I was a stakeholder. So yep. I'd seen it from the other side and I felt as though I'd had a good experience at a, in a global company understanding the cut and thrust of how things had to work. So as, um, as prosaic as legal advice can be, fitting that advice into the actual demands of the stakeholders, I'd been there and done that because I, I'd felt okay. it, I'd felt the pain, I'd seen how to... Um, yeah. how, it, you know, how it was well meant and sometimes how you could um, push it as far as you needed to do. Um, in terms of the private practice, and that was a, another great bit of advice that I had at the time was um, not to go straight in-house. I know that's some people's preference, but yep. the advice yep. given to me was to get some private practice time under your belt. Um, I'm really glad that I did. Uh, it was absolutely invaluable. You know, It really taught me the nuts and bolts of how the the law operates because quite frankly there's a heck of a lot of it out there and there are lots of nuances and the way to deliver it and the meeting the needs of the clients and understanding yep. how to 
transpose those, I guess, those exam time questions from law school into the real world was, you know, it was invaluable. Um, yep. Yep. But then it was a bit of a culture shock going in house. Which well, I'm going to I'm I'm going to call out a, before um, we get to HSBC. I'm going to call out a couple of um, uh, uh, of your achievements. So, so you were in the Legal Five Hundred. 2011 for as an expert in sports law and 2012 as an expert in charity law so tell me a little bit about that because i thought they were two both interesting and very different areas um to to develop an expertise in and then what what were the foundational learnings of those areas that you think kind of helped you um in-house yeah, um, it was, I mean, it's funny, really, because, it, again, it raised different eyebrows when I made the crew choices that I made to move from yep. private. So I was ostensibly what people like to call themselves a sports, law, a sports lawyers, excuse me. Yep. <clears throat> um, I was the Premier League's regulatory lawyer. I advised on the um, financial rules, advised their FD, Javed Khan at the time, the Javed Khan at the time. Yep, Your yep. club's commercial lawyer and, and Leeds United's commercial lawyer. And it was kind of a... A dream come true from the outside in because I was a failed sportsman. Um, yeah. to be involved, like, yeah, I wasn't yep. good enough to be on. I was on the the wrong side of the white lines, if you will. And I was still able to be involved and contribute to the the games that I loved. Um, that then led me. I was very fortunate to work with the managing partner that I did um, to get access to the, the great clients and um, work in some of the yeah, some of the the most exciting commercial deals that were out there at the time. Yeah. Um, from that, funnily enough, comes the charity stuff because you can't work with, um, well, then it was, wasn't was quite as popular, but it, it certainly is now. But then the Premier League, for example, um, Leeds United, they all have their own charitable foundations. Right. So um, I was advising the Premier League um, Charitable Foundation, for example. So lots of that, it went hand in hand, trying to obviously... Oh, I see. ...flow yep. the money and, and help the, um, the grassroots sport um, within each of them. Um, from that then came obviously working from some of those marquee names. I was fortunate enough to work with a lot of high net worth individuals um, at a more regional level. Um, they had their own charitable endeavours and um, we ran our own foundation at the time. So it, it all kind of went hand in glove. Yeah. Okay, understand that. That, that. that makes perfect sense now that you explained it that way. Okay, um, so let's, let's jump straight into your current role, okay? And you've had your current role for the last couple of years at HSBC. Um, uh, t- tell me a little bit about what were your early priorities? Um, a- a- and what, let, let's go through that. And then we'll talk about, okay, how has that changed to the priorities you've got today? Um, let's take you back a couple of years ago. What, what, what are the top two or three things that you're able to share with us that were the... Um, priorities for your role? Yeah, so what, over the, um, I've had the current role, as you say, for two years, but before yep. that, I've been in the upside of things for uh, three and a half. So yep. originally, the first role I got was head of commercial management. It was much more of a narrow remit. It was managing the external legal spend, focusing on the, the global panel, as will be most familiar, yep. Uh, yep. familiar to, uh, to the listeners. Um, yep. it was quite and, does, a, and, and does that mean actually being responsible for the relationships too uh, with each of your law firms and everyone uh, and the, the legal service providers on on the panel? Yeah, correct. I mean, it's an interesting right. role because you, I was responsible for the due diligence elements through the relationship elements from day to day, 
um, yep. which all of the contracting. So it was the, the full life cycle of the relationship, um, looking, yep. you know, very outward looking. And then I was, I guess, from inwardly, I was a bit of a sales agent on behalf of the panel firms for all of HSBC's legal stakeholders. Yep, yep. So you were coming there, the, the law firm's inside BD person <laughs> yeah. um, for, for HSBC, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's definitely yep. one aspect of it. Yep. And, yep. and for that reason, we weren't, you know, when I inherited the role, we weren't particularly far along in terms of nurturing those relationships, in terms of defining our relationships. So the priorities yep. were quite simple at that stage. It was to get my arms around the, the extent of the external legal spend as much as possible in a, a huge institution like this, um, yep. foster the relationships, um, make them deeper and more meaningful, and then get the data behind it so we can move on to the next phase. Okay. And, and tell me, what was that? What was the next phase? So the first phase is just getting arms around the span, the relationships start getting deeper with those relationships. What, 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 how did that start transitioning to the next phase and what does that next phase look like? Um, so we're in that now. We're probably in phase 2B. Um, yep. Three and yep. goes on. Um, 2A was really the, the big repaneling, um, which yep. we finished at the end of last year huge endeavor, 19 global law firms. Um, we just re-looked at the relationship, re-established the aims and principles and and just redefined how we wanted to work with our key partners globally. And um, we were quite clear in terms of um, what we expected from them. And we were, in turn, we were quite clear in terms of what they could expect from us and the commitments yep. that we made. So it was a very, it was a, it was a hell of a learning process for me. Um, we did it at um, lightning speed with change of leadership. Um, I think it went extremely well and um, we delivered against that. But now into phase 2B, um, yep. we're, now in, we're in a two and a half year period now. This is probably the most exciting time because I've got a, a blank canvas, if you will, to and a mandate to look at exactly what a panel should look like um, for the bank going forward, which is not something we've we've done before, certainly not from this root and branch view. Yep, yep. Um Okay, so I'm going to do a bit of a deeper dive because I'm sure there's lots of GCs and probably law firm partners out there that are really interested in your views. So let's start at the basics. What are the key messages and priorities um, that you're looking to deliver um, and and land with your law firms? Um, What is it that you're really looking for that you can share with us um, from law firms? What are the two or three things? And then also what you talk about, what, what, what can they expect um, uh, from from HSBC? Um, I think in terms of, and a lot of people listening to this might um, might think that I'm being overly facile or, or even maybe a bit glib in saying this, but you've got to charge us the right amount of money. Um, yeah. and unfortunately, that's still one of our biggest challenges. And yep. it should be one that's simple in theory to, to remedy. It isn't. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, we just aren't where we need to be in the relationship in terms of being on top of it from our side, but um, yep. expecting the lawyers to to really be clear in terms of what the billing guidelines say and um, build within those and just help us um, in terms of that process. So that we're still waiting yep. on that. We're making good strides, but um, that would be uh, my number one priority. Um, yep. Going on a bit more, you know, being a bit more forward looking and being a bit more positive. The yep. way that the market is moving, I think that it's an exciting time for the law firms because they, while some law firms might feel that their revenue streams are um, shrinking in certain areas, there's really good growth opportunity um, in terms of the consulting side of things, the process side of things. And yep. the area that 
Law firms have been giving advice that's not legal advice for a long, long time, but they may not have been badging it that way or they may not, they may not have felt um, that it was appropriate to, to bill in the same way. But actually, yep. we talk about the best lawyers being those that have the commercial acumen. Um, the legal yep. advice is only a small percentage generally of their overall proposal. So now yep. what clients like I are asking for is to um, come in, almost have a quasi-consultative role, there is absolutely another revenue stream for law firms that sh- can and should and is being formalised on that side of things. And how can you deliver as advice that isn't just the, the traditional legal advice? And how can yep. you help me as that, you mentioned that BD, almost that sales agent for the panel firms? Um, I don't know everything about all the areas of HSBC Group Legal and its business and the legal requirements. So I need you to come in and, and help identify opportunities and not not just come up with the the solutions, but get down and dirty with the problem, you know, and then the solution yep. will come from that and the work will flow from that. Yeah, and it sounds from what you're saying, Richard, the solution is not necessarily just the, the technical black, law, black letter legal answer, uh, but it's got, it's clearly got, every problem's got a business context around yep. it. Um, and what you're saying, no doubt, is a, a true understanding of that business context and being able to deliver the legal advice um, in a way um, that ultimately delivers value um, to the business. That's what everyone is looking for, I think, from an in-house perspective. Um, uh, so, it's, um, uh, so, it's, so it's certainly usable, digestible, um, and then um, ultimately it is a pathway to value um, because that's what we're all looking for. Yeah, we are. Um, okay, so then let's talk about the next twelve months. What, what are the what are you, what will you call out as the top two or three priorities for you in the next twelve months? Again, that, that, that you're happy to share with us. Yeah, absolutely. And um, look, none of this is rocket science. Um, I always think yep. with um, you know, people talk a lot about um, disruption in the law. I don't subscribe to that. Um, I think that we're selling ourselves well if we just talk about evolving. Um, and we are going yep. early, and disruption would be when Amazon buys Clifford Chance, and you know, that's a long one. <laughs> oh, um, now, yeah. now we're going to get phone calls from the managing partners of Clifford Chance. Come on, <laughs> that's, a, that's very offer. funny. <laughs> yep, yep. But we are, and this is the point. We're moving slowly, but it, from a low base yep. of pace, um, yep. we're doing great things, and we should. The industry should be proud enough of itself to talk about it in less grandiose manners and just. Just accept the fact yep. that um, things have been fairly, uh, I guess, static for a long time. And, and now yep. the way that we deliver advice is changing. It's very, yep. the way that I look at it in the bank, the products haven't changed a huge amount that we offer, but the way we deliver them to our clients have. And I think that's yep. the same that will follow true and is following suit um, within the yep. law. So my priorities, um, linking into the actual question, also going back to the, the earlier question about um how my priorities have changed, the role changed as well. So in inheriting the tech and innovation team and knowledge management team within that, the next 12 months on the commercial side of things is very much to to monitor the relationship and be able to provide meaningful data to make data-driven decisions to my CLO. Simple as that, in a way that we haven't been able to do before. You ask what what the law firms can expect from us, well, we intend okay. to give that data back to them as well so that they can make more informed decisions about 
how they want to continue, whether they want to grow or shrink in a particular area, whether they um, are not getting access to opportunities and want to focus on other areas, we're going to be giving that data back to them so that they can make those um, more scientific decisions on the um, innovation. So that's real, right? So that's really interesting. So, but being able to feed back to the law firms, um, essentially, where they should be focusing based on your data, where they should be focusing their efforts, what practice areas perhaps they should be doubling down on. Um, and which ones perhaps they're, let's say, out of the money or um, uh, from an expertise perspective that they're not quite as deep as, let's say, uh, other panel member firms might be. Is that the kind of feedback based on data that you're looking to to provide to the law It firms? is exactly, and I know this isn't a, um, a, a pursuit-driven blog, but um, I'm <laughs> yeah. proud of what we've achieved with pursuit and we wouldn't be able to deliver some of that data back to the law firms or indeed to my CLO without it. Um, you know, we're priming the pump on that at the moment, but what we see the value of it is to open up the marketplace. And that's been a real, um, you know, putting aside which tool we would use to do that um, yep. and to choose yep. your tool. But my view is, or my aim has always been to open up the marketplace across the panel that we've got because there was a real concentration of spend. Um, we are, we've got a huge yep. spend. We've only got, now 18 panel firms globally on that but there's still a concentration across those 18 and we need to open up the opportunities yeah. and really create some competitive tension yeah and there's certainly something about um i think if um and you might be surprised at this view and we've talked about this before but there's certainly about um uh transparency in any market yeah. which gets you to really to the position where you want to be and you want to understand what the choices are what the different you want to be able to see those choices, understand the true differences in their value propositions, and get a have a mechanism to provide that transparency. Um, and and we talk about true market pricing. So that's certainly something that um, uh, that I know HSBC um, is very focused on, and that's clearly aligned with you know the priorities that you're looking to deliver um, over the course of the next 12, 24 months, and presumably an integral part of the relationship with your law firms moving forward yeah it is absolutely and it, it will for me it's absolutely the um the foundation of how we move forward with whatever our panel looks like um we engage yep. our, our yep. preferred firms and um, that's the commercial side of things of course I, the other side of my job is the tech and innovation um, and that's a much um, different challenge in and of itself um, putting aside the pace at which the market's moving um, all the M&A activity as well that affects the way that I and, and, and buyers of services and products like me have to have to work. Um, I've got a, yeah. I've, um, I'm in a fortunate position where across the enterprise, we've got a lot of technology within Lee, we've got a lot of technology. My real focus over the next 12 months is to, um, is to consolidate that tech stack. Um, focus on popular buzzwords. We need to focus on integration um, we need to reduce yep. the amount of overlap that has happened as various products that we own have expanded um, and you know created a bit more competition, uh, sorry, a bit more overlap where that didn't previously exist. Um, and I need to simplify yep. the the process journey, whether or not it's um, underpinned by technology for my stakeholders, because at the moment it's not clear um, which direction our stakeholders need to go in when they're looking for a particular service. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so when we caught up a couple of weeks ago in London, you very kindly um, were a guest speaker um, at at, um, at a luncheon where you talked about 
um, really the challenge, some of the challenges around um, the journey of um, uh, adopting technology with, within a legal department um, and the um, uh, and what that kind of looked like for you. Uh, there are some highlights of that um, a lunch w- which I was at, which was um, uh, really well received, I should say. Richard, are there some highlights you can share with this audience um, about your your journey? You're still on your journey um, about how um, about what that looks like in adopting legal tech, rolling it out to an in-house team. You know the the, the relations with the law firms and so forth. What what, what, is, what does that been look like? What does that look like for you? Um, what what can you share uh, with the audience? Yeah. So look, I, I just want to start by answering it by saying when I give this answer, I, I by no means hold myself out as somebody who has <laughs> achieved anyway perfection yeah. on this. Um, no. Absolutely. You're, 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 st- you're still on the journey. We know that. You're, yeah. you're, you're still on the journey. We, we all are. are. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, yeah. I'm not too yeah. proud to admit the mistakes that we've made. And, um, you know, we made a few and some were foreseeable and, and many weren't. But in terms of the biggest um, thing that I've learned about any change program, particularly within an in-house legal function, is that back to the point about we still are, are a people-led business. Um, and... I try and talk yeah. a lot, not from a position of authority on psychology, but I do talk about the the psychology from more of a lay person's perspective of of how that change management works and the, the necessary ingredients yeah. of influencing people in the right way, of um, selling the journey, of of being inclusive at a very early stage of the journey, um, getting people's buy-in, getting their feedback, really involving the stakeholders, and then um, communicating, communicating, communicating. A lot of the stuff that you know you certainly aren't taught um, in any traditional legal route. Sixty um, percent of my job should probably be communication. Um, the rest of it yeah. is will fall into place because the products are pretty good and they're pretty simple. Um, but if we don't tell yeah. people what we're planning, explain people how we're bringing it to life, and then keep reminding people, um, even once we've rolled stuff out, it will very easily we will lose adoption. Um, and when we lose adoption. Yeah. We just lose the whole reason for the project that we've delivered. So um, we've done, we've had some real successes on that, but we've learned from some failures as well along the way. Um, and I can't, if I were looking at starting a new project now, um, the communication plan would be absolutely at or nearly at number one. Right. Yeah, that'd be front and centre. And look, certainly from um, uh, from that discussion that we had, um, uh, Richard, that was a key takeaway for me, really focusing on, it doesn't matter how good your technology stack is or how good the vision is, it is so much about the people and taking them on a journey and doubling down on over-communicating and, um, and taking them on that journey so they know exactly what it looks like. And there's, and look, change is hard in any sphere and tech change is even harder and legal tech change has its challenges but um, I think that's certainly the key takeaway for me and uh, to the audience that stuff is not, not easy but actually doubling down right up front um, recognizing it's a people business recognizing that when you're changing behaviors you've actually you've got to over communicate um, so that everyone understands why they're on the journey why they're taking each of the steps um, that they are and and, and being I think the other thing, or some of the other things, Richie, you talked about, is being really open about what's working, what hasn't been, and where the failures have been, and trying to get some, I think, buy-in um, 
uh, not only buying, but getting the um, audience that you're bringing on that journey to contribute as much as and feel part of, so it's not just being imposed on them. Yeah. Um, so I, I know you talked quite a bit about well, that. Well, it is. So. And look, we all know that we live in a world of abundance, so it's easy for us to talk about it in the abstract, yeah. but actually cutting through the crap and yeah. make, getting your message to the top of their, their mental inbox, as it were, and, and having it stay there is, yes. is the real challenge. So any suggestions well on that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, because look, we are also, you know, head down. We're dealing with typically dealing with um, whatever is yeah. the most urgent, and that kind. And so it is hard to get mind share. Um, but uh, uh, but like as I said, with any change, I think that um, uh, focusing on the people, understanding it is about over communication, um, and so people understand why they're on that journey. I, I think. Uh, you're absolutely right, and your experience is bared it out. So, um, okay, uh, let, let's switch tack a little bit um, more broadly. The legal industry and change in the legal industry. Any predictions that you'd like to kind of forecast out? Um, 12, 24 months, five years, whatever it might be. What What do you think? What do you think some of the challenges are? going to continue to be and what do you and, and what do you think will change um uh if you forecast out a couple of years or more um i think for the immediate term um i don't see the mna activity slowing down that will be uh, yeah. obviously a, a good thing for many people but um it's uh, it isn't all, doesn't yeah. always translate into a positive um for buyers like us um, yeah we know we yep. need to wait yep. for the music to stop in some respects so that we can, when we're trying to carry out these tech consolidation exercises. Yeah, yeah. And the music will stop. If there's anyone's got any doubt, at some point yeah. the music will stop. We've, we've been there before. It's been a while um, uh, since the music has stopped, but um, I, I, I think you're right. It, it will at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And um, beyond that, oh, Always dangerous looking beyond that because uh, you know futurists, uh, yeah, um, a futurist for good reason probably paid a lot more than me. But um, I, look, I don't see for a company the size of ours. I still see enterprise solutions um, being having the lion's share. I know I saw a stat a few years ago that yeah. Microsoft was the the biggest supplier of legal technology globally. Well, no surprise when you just look at the fact that it, lawyers work on Word and sometimes in Excel, um, but. That yeah. is probably the one end of it. The other end is domain-specific solutions are going to continue to rise. And I think the best, you know, the cream will rise to the top. Um, yeah. There will always be a place for yeah. those. And um, interesting how, again, we've been on the pursuit journey for a long time, two years now. Um, and it was met across the, the bank originally with some cynicism. that um, Lawyers were looking at their own um, specific product on this. But actually, it's worked out yeah. now. The consultants of the world, the McKinsey's of the world, are saying, well, actually, um, this is the right thing, domain-specific solutions in certain areas to complement enterprise technology the way forwards. And I think that's going to really, I think yeah. that's going to ring yeah. true. And I think, as I say, the, the best solutions um, will really have risen to the top over the next two to three years. But um, Microsoft will still maintain its grip on the market. Yeah, no, I think that's right. No, I think there is nothing like um, what I, I certainly 
foreseen, and there's quite a few commentators around this which hold a similar view, where you have a whole lot of best-of-breed domain-specific solutions that you can essentially swap in and out um, uh, to an yeah. overall stack. That makes sense, because otherwise trying to be everything to everyone in a single solution typically doesn't work. It ends up just being bad for everyone. But um, a um, an ecosystem where you can swap in and out you know, best of breed that that certainly makes sense to me, and it seems to be the way um, uh, the um, the experts in the space are, are predicting it. But um, like um, uh, like all future predictions, Richard, um, it's um, it's <laughs> hazardous um, uh, to, to, to spend too much time there. Okay, um, let's switch it up a little bit. Um, your volunteering work um, at the Harrington Town Football Club. Tell me yeah, about that. Um, Harrington Town. Um, was a place where I played when I was young. So my grandfather used to take me into the stalls on a Tuesday night, wet and windy Tuesday night. And um, I, back in my private practice days, I was fortunate enough to act on the sale of the club to the um, incumbent purchaser. Um, It was a bit of a labour of love, really. And um, the purchaser didn't really know anyone in the area. Um, Big residential house builder from outside of the region um, he asked if I was interested in hanging around for a bit to um, help introduce him um, to certain business folk around the area. I was more than happy to do that. And um, long story short, he, I mean, he had a great 10-year plan. Um, he's executed ahead of that now. I spent the next eight years working with the team, um, just helping at a very low level, um, helping out, you know, looking at sponsorship, yep. looking at certain parts of the agreement, just being a bit of a... Um, a facilitator when it came to local relationships and um, and just you know rolling my sleeves up where I could, occasionally clearing snow off the pitch. <laughs> no, no duty was yep. too small. Uh, um, uh, so, uh, fantastic, and, and clearly something you're passionate about, yeah, absolutely, too, Richard. Yeah, um, Richard, I'm going to round out with some questions I often ask my guests. Um, uh, what's the hardest thing? Let's stick to professional. What's the hardest thing you've ever done professionally? Um, redundancy programs, no doubt. Mind. Um, yeah. Never easy yeah. for all the reasons yeah. that we can expect um, and understand. Uh, yeah. I've been through a few of them on both sides, and um, it's you know, it, there's no such thing as, as fairness in life as we know, and um, there's not bringing out quite so yeah. pointedly as a redundancy program. So I'll I'll never get used to those. Uh, no, uh, loud and clear, and not surprisingly, Richard. That's um, uh, that's certainly a top um, uh, two or three that we hear time and time again. That 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 never gets easy. Um, uh, obviously, dealing with people's livelihoods yeah. and so forth. Um, so yeah, never an easy part of the job. Um, advice, Richard, that you'd give to your twenty-five-year-old <laughs> self: uh, drink less. Um... <laughs> there we go. Um, should have listened to my mother after all. No, I, um, yeah, that's true. But more seriously, look after my mental and physical health. Um, absolutely, and that's something that um, into my forties yeah. now, and something that's really becoming laser focused in my mind for a whole host of reasons. Yeah. Um, I, if I could have laid the foundations back then, I'd be a much um, stronger individual now. So. Um, definitely those um, those elements. Um, it's, we all think we're bulletproof, don't we, in, yeah. in our mid-20s? We, we, we do. And, and Richard, I've got to tell you, that is just fantastic advice. It's stuff we don't 
we're so kind of, especially younger, we're so focused on typically career progression, advancement, other people, problems and all of that, the actual, the time you take to build your own personal resilience, mental strength, and whatever those strategies might be, actually being deliberate about that as early as you possibly can and recognising the importance of that. Um, that deserves a huge shout out um, because I think, you know, obviously you're absolutely right in that. And, and you can never invest too much time and energy yeah. on yourself and your own, your own internal strength um, and, and, and happiness. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely worth shouting out. Um, final question, Richard. Anything that's keep anything that's keeping you awake at night now? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, well, answering it honestly, I'm I'm somebody who um, who struggles to shut down my mind of an evening. So it's quite easy to keep me away yeah. so it can be it can often be small things um and it generally yeah. is small things that yeah. you know, i will have to work on in in just contextualizing those so i can move on to yeah. the next day um but in terms of yeah um the bigger picture and, and a you know a real answer to that sort of question it's got to be with um the way that inflation is going at the moment now that my global legal function quite rightly has to I say my as if I own it, but you know, you know how um, where yeah. we're coming from. Yeah, um, certainly. We can no longer get away with not contributing to those cost reductions. So, figuring out, yeah. trying to look around the corner, with inflation being at the crazy level that it is, um, how can we stop that yeah. being passed on to us by our partners, suppliers, and how can we contribute to the group's overall yeah. um, cost program? Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting challenge. It has yep. been for the last um, three, four years. It's only going to become more pointed. Yeah, and certainly all the indications are, uh, Richard, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is going to um, uh, become more and more of a challenge, and I've already heard um, stories about the impact that's making now with recent rate reviews. Um, as recently, the last um, uh, last month or so, um, speaking to a number of general counsel there, and so I think there's... I think there are going to be some real challenges there and the environment that we're in right now is, um, is certainly not going to help on those challenges. Um, Richard, it's been an absolute blast speaking to. I always enjoy our catch-ups and this is no exception. Thanks so much no, for joining Thanks for having me, Jim. Real pleasure. Um, and appreciate you having me on the, the podcast. Fantastic. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.